The Old Testament reading for our celebration of Palm Sunday comes from the book of Deuteronomy, the 32nd chapter. The Lord will vindicate his people and have compassion on his servants when he sees that their power is gone and there is none remaining, bond or free. Then he will say, Where are their gods, the rock in which they took refuge, who ate the fat of their sacrifices and drank the wine of their drink offering? Let them rise up and help you. Let them be your protection. See, now that I, even I, am he, and there is no God beside me. I kill and I make alive, I wound and I heal, and there is none that can deliver out of my hand. And this is the word of the Lord. Christ entered once for all into the holy places by means of his own blood. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant. He sent redemption to his people. The epistle reading comes from Paul's letter to the church in Philippi, the second chapter. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And this is the word of the Lord. We rise for the reading of the Gospel. And the Holy Gospel comes to us according to St. Luke, the 19th chapter. When Jesus drew near to Bethphage and Bethany, at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? You shall say this, The Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus. And throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And this is the gospel of our Lord. Grace, Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father. And from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. It's been three years now 
that Jesus and his disciples have been traveling throughout the region with their ministry. Three years of preaching and parables, of teaching and miracles. Three years of joyful receptions and faithless rejections. Three years of bringing the good news of God to people in need, and three years of confrontation from many. Their fame and popularity has grown, as has their opposition. And now, after three years, as the Passover draws near, Jesus enters into Jerusalem, and the crowd goes wild. Every year at the Passover, Jerusalem is overfilled with people coming to the temple for the festival. So it's even more packed, more crowded, more crazy than usual. So as Jesus enters, riding on a donkey, a sign of both royalty and humility, the crowd shouts and sings and rejoices, praising God for all of the things that they had seen and heard. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. They throw their cloaks and leafy branches down on the road, rolling out the red carpet, proclaiming that Jerusalem itself is not worthy to have Jesus touch the dirt of its streets. It is a jubilant, raucous, joyful celebration of Jesus Christ that everyone in the whole city hears. But not everyone is happy about it. Not everyone likes what Jesus has to say. Not everyone is all that thrilled to see Jesus. Not everyone likes the noise, noise, noise that all these worshipers are making. Some are worried that Jesus will be crowned king, which is against the law of their Roman rulers. And if that happened, Rome would come in with great force and stomp down Israel completely. Some just don't like what Jesus has to say. Some are worried that he is going to be more popular and more powerful than they themselves are. There were lots of people who didn't like Jesus, and lots of reasons. So some of the Pharisees in the crowd try to put an end to the festivities. They approach Jesus and tell him to shut the whole thing down. Teacher, they chide, rebuke your disciples. Make them stop. Silence them. We don't want to hear this. It's dangerous, and it's wrong. But Jesus says, there's no stopping it. You can't silence the glory and praise that Jesus is worthy of. He says to those trying to silence the crowd, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. If the crowd wouldn't sing out Jesus' praise, the stones themselves would shout. Because try as you might, you simply can't silence the good news of Jesus Christ. But that didn't stop the Pharisees from trying. And it hasn't stopped people from trying ever since. All throughout history, the world has tried to silence Christians, to keep them from sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. The Roman Empire martyred those who held to their Christian beliefs. Communist regimes hunted down and imprisoned and murdered those who refused to renounce their Christianity. Missionaries all across the globe were killed for daring to bring the truth of Jesus Christ to those who were trapped in pagan, satanic beliefs. And while we, thankfully, are not facing physical harm or government-sponsored violence in our culture today, there are plenty who want to silence the joyful shouts of Christians, want the Christian church to keep quiet 
and quit proclaiming the truth of Jesus Christ. Just like the Pharisees on that first Palm Sunday, there are plenty of people who want the jubilant crowd of Christians to stop, to keep it to themselves, to quit their celebrations and joy. They say the church is hurting people's feelings, and feelings are the most importantest thing in the whole world. They say that Christianity isn't inclusive because it doesn't promote sexual perversion and the murder of babies. They say that we're bigoted, that we're stuck in the past, that the world has moved on and has no need of our religion anymore. They say that Christianity is just a bunch of made-up fairy tales to help feeble-minded sheep cope with life. They say that we need to be tolerant, and if we aren't their form of tolerant, they can't tolerate us. In so many ways, and for so many sinful reasons, the world hates the true Christian church, and it demands that we be silent, that we keep Jesus to ourselves, that we quit our joyous celebrations and quit telling everyone about Jesus and quit promoting our beliefs because they don't like it one bit. And sadly, we do. Even though we're not facing death, even though we aren't losing our possessions and freedoms, even though right now the biggest thing that we really have to worry about is that celebrities will never know make fun of us, we listen to the Pharisees of the world and we hush. We keep quiet. We stop celebrating out loud. We stop proclaiming the glorious truth of Jesus Christ. We Christians duck our heads down keep our faith to ourselves, and we hope that nobody notices us. We don't tell others because we might offend someone, might make them uncomfortable, or worse, might make them think we're weird. We dummy up about our faith. We put away our parades. We quietly return to our homes in silence. And even there, we don't talk about Jesus, not in a meaningful way at least, we don't tell our children about the wicked errors of the world. We don't teach them to stand up for what the Bible says. We assume that everything's fine. We don't care that their schools are intent on decimating their Christian faith and values, ridiculing the scriptural account of creation, teaching them perverted, sinful views of sexuality. We read about all the wicked, evil things happening in big city schools, and we say, oh, that would never happen here in Iowa. But it does, and it is. Daily, your children are being bombarded by satanic lies that undermine and twist their Christian faith. In the classroom, by their friends and teachers, by the music they listen to, the shows they watch, the internet stars they look up to. For hour upon hour, each and every day, they are told that Christianity is a repressive lie that the world and its sick ways have more to offer, and that living like an animal is the greatest thing ever, and that it's foolish to try to control your sinful desires. That's the message that fills their heads constantly. And too many Christian parents just don't care. We sit back and let it happen. We feel awkward about talking about Jesus at home, so we just don't. We don't bother to tell our children how to stand up to these attacks. We don't give them the real truth of Christianity so they have no response to the world's lies. We figure it's the church's job. And since they go to Sunday school fairly often and show up in church sometimes, they'll be fine. 
but they're not. And we're not going to be fine either. If we can't talk about our Christian faith at home, what makes us think that we'd be able to talk about it in public? How well do you think we'll do defending our faith when the world really attacks us? More often than not, we just don't say anything. Jesus says that if his disciples are silent, the rocks themselves would cry out. And we take that as an excuse to keep our mouths shut. Hey, I don't have to talk about Jesus because the stones around me will do the work for me. We fear the wrath and the ridicule of the world more than we fear the wrath of God. We want the love and affection of the world more than we want God's. We want to be one of the cool kids. We want to fit into the world. We want to be respected and adored, so we just keep Jesus out of our lives. We don't say a word about him. We don't let him have any impact on how we behave. We hear the Pharisees and the elites of the world say, Jesus, tell your people to be quiet. And we gladly listen to them. We hide away our lukewarm faith and we make sure that nobody can suspect we're Christians. Nobody would think that church is important. Nobody could accuse us of cheering for Jesus and being one of his followers. It's safer for us. And we let the world convince us that it's the loving thing to do because that doesn't hurt anyone's feelings. And it's inclusive. And it's welcoming. And it's affirming. And it's whatever buzzword the world is using this week. You know, but how loving is it really to know that someone living a life of unrepentant sin is condemning themselves to hell and not saying a thing about it? How loving is it to know that Jesus Christ alone gives freedom from Satan and refusing to tell people about him? How loving is it to let people think that the way of the world leads to joy and fulfillment when we know that it leads to death and chaos and heartache and destruction? Is it truly loving to keep our Christian faith to ourselves? Is it loving to value someone's wrong feelings over their eternal soul? Or should we, as Christians, ignore the rebukes of the world and shout out our praises for Jesus Christ? Should we, for the sake of the world around us, continue to sing and rejoice and praise God for all the mighty works that we have seen? Should we make so much noise that the whole world simply can't ignore us as we sing and rejoice even in the face of mockery and ridicule and threats? Dear Christians, how can we keep quiet knowing what Jesus has done for us and for the whole world? Those in the crowd in Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, many of them didn't understand what Jesus had actually come to do. They thought of him as an earthly king, as a miracle worker, as a guy who was going to keep their bellies full and their heads happy. But we, we know the true glory of Jesus Christ. We know why he rode into Jerusalem that Sunday morning. It wasn't for the accolades of the crowd. It wasn't for an earthly throne. It was to travel to the cross to suffer and die in excruciating pain so that we sinners could be set free from eternal death, could be snatched out of the fiery hands of Satan himself and released from our bondage to sin. 
Jesus Christ came to Jerusalem to give his life as the perfect sacrifice to pay the price of our sin. He came to do what we never could, to fulfill God's law perfectly. He suffered and died in our place, shedding his innocent blood to cleanse us completely of our guilt. He willingly laid down his immortal, eternal life in agony on the cross so that we sinners who despised him could be forgiven and restored as his children. He died to pay for our sin, and he rose again from the grave to give us eternal life in heaven. He took away all your guilt, all your shame, all your iniquity. Every time that you refuse to share his glory, he forgives you. Every time you cower in the face of the world's ridicule, he strengthens you and forgives you. Every time you transgress his holy word and sin, he forgives you and covers you with his own robe of righteousness so that you can be seen as innocent and perfect in his eyes and welcomed into his paradise of heaven. He doesn't destroy you as you deserve, but instead gives you the absolute guarantee of heaven. That's what Jesus has done for us and for all sinners. So how can we possibly keep that to ourselves? How can we keep quiet when we know the truth of God's unending love for us and for all his sinful creation? It's not a message just for the clean and the good. It's a message of forgiveness for the entire world, even those who absolutely hate to hear it. And God's word is so powerful, so amazing, that even those that we assume would never, ever change their evil ways, God works miracles. He has for you. He has for me. And he has for countless believers. We have the words of eternal life. And we are called to share those words with all, even if it makes others uncomfortable. Even if the world doesn't like it, even if it means we give up our comfort, our freedom, even our lives. As Christians, knowing the glorious truth of the Bible, knowing the joy of Jesus Christ, knowing that he and he alone rescues from sin, death, and the devil, it is our great privilege and our joy to share that good news with others, to shout it out, to sing and rejoice and refuse to keep silent. Yes, even if the entire church were silent, the stones themselves would cry out the glory of Jesus Christ. But let's keep the rocks quiet for now, and let's sing out Jesus' praise ourselves with gladness and joy and fervor, witnessing to the world what is truly important, proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ to all. Let's quit apologizing for our Christian faith and let the world know that it and it alone is the way to eternal life. Jesus Christ is the King of kings and Lord of lords, and it is our great privilege to proclaim that to our families, to our children, to our neighbors, to our friends, and to the entire world. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. This is our cry constantly. This is our joy constantly. And we will not be silent. 
For by the cross of Jesus Christ alone, by his empty tomb alone, you are forgiven of every one of your sins, and eternal life in heaven is yours. To God alone be all glory, now and forever. Amen.